0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
1: Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. We chanted that together in the intro this morning.
0: There's a term for that kind of thing, where we're saying, glory to God it's a little liturgical device. It's called a doxology. And there's a more common doxology. In fact, I think sometimes we just call it the common doxology. Deb, could you give us a G please? Why don't you sing this with me?
1: Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise
0: Yeah, we do doxologies. We get this. We understand doxologies. So when Paul writes, oh, how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge. How impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and his ways, not in a bad way. Like, what are you doing, God? But he's just so far high above us. Who knows enough? to give him advice who can know the Lord's thoughts and who has given him so much that God needs to pay it back. The answer to all those things is nobody for everything comes from him and exists by his power and is intended for his glory, all glory to him forever. Amen. Paul probably isn't composing his own prose there. Paul was writing this letter to the church in Rome from the church in Corinth, which, you know, from first and second Corinthians, they had some problems, but, um, You know, Paul worked those things out with them. He's at Corinth, and he's writing to the church in Rome. And he explains over 10 or 11 chapters the glory of the gospel, the severity of God's wrath against sin, and the sweetness of God's love for sinners who don't have to do anything but just believe in the Lord Jesus Christ who took on flesh, carried our sin to the cross, and was crucified for us. And more than that, was raised to, the, raised to eternal life for our justification. And he wraps that all up. And he writes down, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. He writes a doxology probably from the worship life of the church in Corinth. He's, this is one of these things in the Bible where it's a little glimpse probably into the liturgy of the ancient, ancient, ancient church. And when do we use doxologies at the end of church meetings sometimes either in celebration or in relief, like, whew, thank God that, uh, you know, Tim motioned to adjourn. Uh, sorry, Tim. Yeah. yeah thanks. I'll make it up to you somehow. Sometimes we use doxologies to give thanks. Sometimes we sing the doxology around a loved one's deathbed. It's a device we use, like the Lord's Prayer, like the Apostles' Creed. We're praising God when, maybe when everything else makes sense. Yes, let's sing this. Maybe when nothing makes sense. Yet I will praise him. The scriptures say, though he slay me. The book could rightly end here. Romans could just be done. (laughs) But this is like, um, have you seen Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings, Return of the King? It's like a three hour long movie, maybe more than three hours, and it ends like four times. The, The Howard Shore's musical score swells and it comes home musically. And Aragorn is crowned as King of Gondor, right? The Return of the King. And the bad guys are all defeated and it fades to black and then it unfades from black for another 40 minutes during which you get another couple of endings if you're not familiar with that perhaps you're familiar with a few of my sermons that have done that (laughs) I'm told a few weeks ago that I came up to the end and just kept going Everything comes from God and exists by his power and is intended for his glory. All glory to him forever. Amen. Thank you, Livy. Amen. That's right. Now, with that said, he goes on for another four chapters. You're part of everything. Here's the the deal. Here's the point this morning. You are part of everything that exists for God's glory and is... uh, Wait a minute. You're part of everything that comes from God, exists by his power, and is intended for his glory which means you are not your own. All of this gospel sweetness that comes to salve the wounds uh, the, the anxiety that we have in our conscience about sin makes a claim on your life. You come from God, you exist by his power and you are intended for his glory. The trajectory of your life ultimately will bring God glory. And the way you do that is by offering up yourself as a living sacrifice. Amen. Amen. I think Olivia wants me to be done soon. Offering yourself up as a living sacrifice. Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. This is in the ESV translation, which is printed for you on the back of your bulletin. The NLT is printed in the middle. We've got a lot going on here in this service folder this morning, don't we? I like the ESV on this one verse because of the way this is translated. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. You notice he says appeal, not command. He doesn't say by my authority as an apostle do this. He says I appeal to you. And Martin Martin Luther explains why Paul uses that word appeal and not command. Luther says in a sermon on this very text from Romans. He who cannot, by the gracious and lovely message of God's mercy, so lavishly bestowed on us in Christ, be persuaded in a spirit of love and delight to contribute to the honor of God and the benefit of his neighbor, he who cannot do that, after hearing of God's mercy, is worthless to Christianity. And all effort is lost on him. How can one whom the fire of heavenly love and grace cannot melt be rendered cheerfully obediently, cheerfully obedient by laws and threats? If the fire of heavenly grace and mercy can't melt your heart, a command from an apostle or a pastor slamming this thing so hard that it falls off the front of the pulpit, that's not going to make a difference. You can get up and walk right out of here. I, I have no power to stop you. We gather here because the spirit calls us and we stay here to encounter God's word, specifically God's love for us so that we are changed by it in view of these mercies. And Paul says, by the mercies of God, present yourselves. We're not meeting God halfway because we're inspired by what he's done. It's not like in view of everything that God has done for us. Wow, he's done so much. Now I'm going to do my part because you can't do your part. That's the Romans one through 11 spells out very clearly. That all your part is, is sin. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everything we would try to do to help God out just ruins the whole thing. We present ourselves by the mercies of God. The mercies of God like holy baptism. The mercies of God like his revelation of his word to us. Where we can gather this, in this time, weekly, from all of our different walks of life. We can gather together and hear God's word. To be in a position to present yourself to God as a result of God's mercy. If he, do, if he did not call us here by his spirit, if he did not enlighten us, and give us his gifts, all that stuff in the small catechism, the explanation to the third article of the creed, if we're not called by the gospel, we wouldn't be here at all. This is all God's doing. We present ourselves by God's mercies to us. And then in the NLT... Translation that Merle read for us a minute ago, he says, This is the true way to worship him. This is truly the way to worship him at the end of verse one. This reads like an invitation or an instruction. Like, this is really how you should do it. This is the real deal. If you're going to worship him, do it like this. It's not really what he's saying. It's the translation I like the best of this tricky word in Greek, logikain, which only appears, I think, this one time in the New Testament. So when you come up with something like that, that's you can't look elsewhere to see how the New Testament authors used it. Other translations say this is your spiritual worship, or proper worship, or acceptable worship. The phrase comes at the end of the verse, but it's really the foundational reason that Paul says, I appeal to you to present your bodies as sacrifices. Another way to say this would be, this is how you worship God. This is what happens. This is what worship of the God who reorganized reality in order to redeem you. This is what happens. You offer your body as a living sacrifice to him. Anything else is not Worship. It's not the true, acceptable, spiritual worship. So what is a living sacrifice? That'll be pretty important for us to figure out. The Bible does talk a lot about sacrifices. And here's one thing we know about sacrifices. They're given up with no rights reserved. It's like the opposite of those copyright notices, those disclaimers you see, all rights reserved. You know, The guy talking really fast at the end of the uh, infomercial, all rights reserved. No rights reserved. The sacrifice is offered up with all claims on it surrendered. Here's how your self offering stands apart. You're not called to offer up your body to die on an altar in order to atone for sin, like all of the sacrifices of animals in the Old Testament and the sacrifice of Jesus on the altar of the cross in the New Testament, the New Covenant. Our sacrifice is not like that. We're not called to die, we're called to offer up our bodies to live. With our sins forgiven, there's no more sin to atone for. We're supposed to live in love for God and for neighbor. Brothers and sisters, you don't get to live for you. There's no more looking out for number one. Number one is dead. That's the call of the gospel. You live for other people now. And you live for God. So there is a death involved in this sacrifice that we're called to, but it's death to self. It's death to the part of you that drove your Lord to the cross in the first place. He died on account of selfishness and gossip and pettiness and covetousness and adultery, even if it's only adultery in your mind or your heart and murder, even if it's only murder in your mind or your heart, you're dishonoring of your parents, all of the ways we have broken the Ten Commandments. He died for that, and now you worship him by dying to all of that too. You don't need to die because of your sin, brothers and sisters. Jesus already did. That's done. That's taken care of. Let your conscience be light. All of the sin in your past, the sin from today, and the sin for tomorrow... And a thousand tomorrows after that till the, for the rest of your life. It's all forgiven. That issue is resolved. It's closed. Your sacrifice is to live the offered up life. Now, if this all sounds like a little more than you bargained for, I get it. It's pretty costly. It's totally foreign to our intuitive understanding. It's, it's foreign to our impulses, to our instincts. And even after we wrap our minds around it, a lot of times throughout the week, we balk at how costly this is, which is part of the reason my church is every Sunday. (laughs) Because we all need to be reoriented. We need to be reminded. Most importantly, we need to be filled with grace and power from our Lord here to go back out and live for others and live for God. Luther gets at this in the small catechism, specifically about baptism. He says the old Adam in us should by daily contrition and repentance every day, every day be drowned and die with all sins and evil lusts. And also baptism shows that a new man should daily come forth and arise who shall live before God in righteousness and purity forever. Righteousness and purity forever sounds pretty permanent, but the paradox here is that we have to do this every day. We use our baptism every day. Paul calls this daily death and resurrection, letting God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. This is verse 2 of Romans 12. And we're not talking here about a four-year Bible college or seminary degree. God interacts with us through his word and sacraments. So, if you want to be transformed into a new person, if you're hungry for transformation in your life, go to where the word and sacraments are. You don't have to go to another conference. You don't have to go pay a bunch of money for some grifter filling an auditorium, promising all kinds of health, wealth, and prosperity. In the name of the Lord Jesus, Amen. It's free. Anywhere the word is preached in the sacraments are administered. That's how God promises to transform us. Come to church, not because the music will move you, though it might. Not because the pastor will galvanize you or whatever. It doesn't matter who's standing up here. God's power is still the same for you. To give you a clean conscience. To remind you of God's love for you. To give you a purpose and a meaning. So that when we leave this place to go back out into this world that is dark and growing darker by the day. We can let our lights shine. You might think that's the ending, but I'm going to keep going. That was, that was not written. Sorry. That's free. Here's the conclusion. (laughs) We need this transformation. We need this renewing of our minds in order to offer up our bodies as living sacrifices, which is what Paul says is the worship that follows what God has done for us. That's the way the chain works in reverse. The word and the sacraments transform our minds they deconform us. They, they uh, recalibrate us to the kingdom of heaven because all week long, the kingdom of this world, the kingdom of Satan, is trying to get us to go its way. We need to be transformed by God's power as our minds are renewed so that we can offer up our lives. And offering up our lives looks a lot more like putting the, uh, the interests of others ahead of your own, in your job, in your house, in your pursuits. We're not talking about selling everything you have and going to the foreign mission field. The life God has called you to is good and holy. Just as it is. It's not any less holy than this. Working in a church. We don't know what melody Paul's doxology from the end of Romans 11 was set to, so we can't really sing it with him. But even if that particular doxology is foreign to us, lost to time, we know the true way to worship God. Offering ourselves up, dead to ourselves. Surrendering all claims on our desires and plans for our lives and the lives of our kids, the lives of those around us. Dead to the world, and it's calling us to get more money and fame and power. Dead to the need to be well-liked. Dead to the need to be popular. Dead to the need to have a good pedigree. Offered to God, who in love made us his sons and daughters. And transformed by the regular renewal of our minds. As we gather as the church around the word and the sacraments. I want to sing something to you that you just sang together.
1: Here stands the font before our eyes telling how God has received us. The altar recalls Christ's sacrifice and what his supper here gives us. Hear sound the scriptures that proclaim Christ yesterday, today the same, and evermore our Redeemer.
0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.